There are fine lines between things. And it is about not settling for good enough. It's about tr realizing you're up against a lot of other great competition. And at some point, you don't want a little JV mistake to sort of get you out. And sound design's a big one. And it's sort of like they want to discover you and you've made bad choices. And yes, sound design matters. Yes, your production design matters, your costume design and these other things because we're, we're, we're in the business of discovery and we don't want somebody who's good at two things and bad at five. Just wanted to welcome everybody to Below the Line, a podcast from the Lower East Side Film Festival. Shannon, tell us, tell us about ourselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am Shannon Walker. I am one of the festival directors at the Lower East Side Film Festival, along with my co-host, Roxy Hunt, who is also a festival director at the Lower East Side Film Festival. And tonight is demystifying film festival programming. And we have here with us Josh Greenwood, the programming director from the Lower East Side Film Festival. Suzanne hey. Barraza, who is the festival director from Mountain Film. And Andrew Peterson, who is the Director of Programming at the Provincetown Film Festival. Thank you all so much for being with us here today. And we're very excited to um, talk about programming and picking your brains and asking very thoughtful questions. Um, <laughs> just to kick it off, sometimes we just like to get to know you through what you're what you're listening to what you're watching what you're enjoying we just it just gives us a chance to judge you so <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, tell us uh something that you guys are are watching right now in the world um tv film whatever it is listening to a podcast whatever it is that that you're excited about right now shannon i'll, I'll kick it to you first to break oh, the okay. first dice Okay. I have been listening to, well, it's a new podcast and it's called If Books Could Kill. And mm. one of the hosts, there are two hosts, but I can only remember the name of one of them. His name is Michael Hobbs and he's a journalist. He used to be a host on a podcast called You're Wrong About, which has many, many episodes in which I also really love this podcast if books could kill is sort of a in the sense of you're wrong about or debunking books <laughs> mm. or these these um what what they they're doing sort of like airport books books that have sort of penetrated pop culture and have been part of the zeitgeist or whatnot and they only have two episodes so far first one i listened to and it is on Freakonomics, which mm. is a book when it came out, I read and I really liked, and it has not aged well. And oh. also, <laughs> so I, and I, I listened to Freakonomics podcast for a while also, but when mm. they break down this book and read from it, this stuff has not aged well, a, a very fun listen. And the oh. next episode is on the outliers, which is also an airport book that I really like. So <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm ready to be, to have, you know, books that I loved torn to pieces. <laughs> and I'm fine with them. So if books could kill, 
Mm. is the name of the podcast. All right. Well, that's on our list now. And you've got some fans in the chat, Shannon. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, good. And, Andrew, what about you? What are you watching, listening to, enjoying right now? Well, uh, first off, I'm, I'm forever hopeful that I'm aging well. Um, <laughs> and like that. Um, I, I am one of those people that I'm not quite sure how this will land with everybody. Christmas starts early in my house mm. and I am very proud of an annual Christmas mix that I make every year so that I start early so that it's ready to drop the day after Thanksgiving and uh, as a result Harry Potter's playing here all the time ah uh, that's that's right right now there's no shame in that there's no shame <laughs> well when you watch it as much as I have a little bit uh, but uh you know, I could say Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, but you know, other than that, but you could, you could, because Shannon would agree with you, but we don't have time enough time for that. <laughs> that'll <laughs> be, a, a that'll podcast. be another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about you, Suzanne? What are you listening to, watching, loving? Well, just a second ago on my drive, a friend of mine turned me on to this podcast. This is like so, like going to the lowbrow. Murdoch murders. Oh. which because they're making it a Hulu series. So, and I was like, what the hell? There's like 76 episodes. Are you kidding me? So I'm like flashing through that. And then I'm, I just finished, I'm headed to the Dominican Republic in a couple of days. So I wanted to brush up on my Spanish. So I just watched a series called uh, La Cocinera de Castamar, which I think is the cook of Castamar. It's on Netflix. Mm. You can you can watch it in English or read the subtitles or there's lots of different ways to watch it. It's kind of like a total, I don't know, drama. It's almost like practically a practically a telenovela novella, Ooh. but it's it was pretty fun. Yeah. Love it. That's awesome. Josh, what about you? Are you gonna uh, fall are you gonna fall lowbrow or highbrow? We're curious. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I I'm not listening to amazing uh, you know, podcasts like that, uh, that are in different languages, but uh I guess uh, I've been on a tear of different uh, TV shows. So I think recently a show that surprised me in a in a great way was This Fool, which is on Hulu. And um, I don't know, it's like a half hour comedy that is like funny, but says a lot about mass incarceration. It's from like a Hispanic point of view in LA um, in a like a really fun way and it's it's kind of talking about a lot of things while also being like deeply funny and so I I don't know I haven't like laughed out loud like that in a long time so it's great amazing I'll just say quickly that I laugh out loud a lot recently I started watching Catastrophe if anyone hasn't watched that highly recommend I don't know how I missed it like it's been you know it's been out for like a while but I just I watched Bad Sisters and I like that and so I was like what else oh catastrophe and whole new whole new world but that's great that I thank you guys for sharing your your deepest darkest secrets (laughs) let's just dive right into what we're here for we're here to demystify film festival programming and we've got the best and brightest to do so so i'm just gonna you know just to give our our listeners a sense of the festival that you're involved with i just want to hear a little bit about you know the experience that the festival that you're with aims to create for both the filmmaker and for the audience just in case people aren't quite familiar with with the fest that you're involved in tell us andrew i'll kick it to you first tell us a little bit about provincetown and what kind of the vibe is in terms of what your guys are aiming for for filmmakers and for the audience yeah well you know uh john waters is our robert redford as he is the sundance <laughs> to us 
he sets a little bit of the vibe. Uh, we also, you know, we honor a filmmaker and a uh, every year, and John's in conversation with them, and it tends to be a little irreverent, a little different, and it's it's the award is called Filmmaker on the Edge, and we embrace that with our programming. You know, we're we're at the edge of the world, you know, at the end of Cape Cod, but also, you know, we're a town full of artists, full of uh, misfit toys. I'm I count myself among them. You find yourself in Provincetown, sort of, uh, you know, the world takes you there, washes you up on shore, and you stay for a while. And you find yourself uh, hanging out with with a lot of really fascinating, interesting other misfits. So it's sort of like the festival reflects that where, you know, it, it embraces that that part of all of us. I think we benefit from having a couple small screens, you know, 40 and 70 seats, which I always encourage festivals to try to, to embrace because it really it allows you to not worry about see, uh, ticket sales and to embrace uh, edge and more edgy fair and, scare, and films that you might be scared to see. If you're, whether anybody's going to show up. We Our audience is predominantly LGBTQ, so uh, we're not a queer festival. We're an international festival, but we are programmed with a queer eye. But that's a pretty broad definition. I mean, we're not a monolith. So it's um, there's a lot to embrace there. But I think that that provides a lens to look at what we program. And, and, uh, but I, and within the short film categories, I always say, you know, the sweet spots for us are films about art and artists, about the climate and our relationship to the environment, given Cape Cod's sort of precarious situation, one foot above sea level where we are. And, um, you know, also films about New England. And we like to uh, always pay attention to indigenous content, given that, as I say, I often say, the problem started in Provincetown. We need to remind people of that. And also within our, um, you know, the longstanding um, uh, Portuguese community that's there, that we we honor the past and the, and the present and the people that still carry those and live there. John Waters will often say it's a, what does he say? It's a, it's a drinking town with a fishing problem. So it's, um, it's, uh, you know, the other, the other, the reverse might be the way some people describe us, but it's like, and it's a big foodie culture. So we also look at for films or food. There's a broad list of things. That's kind of a little bit of a, I say, I often say this will be my theme for the night. When you invite me somewhere, I say, I show up and throw up. I just tell you a lot. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, so here you go. That was, that was me sharing a lot about Provincetown. I love that. that was, that's a great, let's get those t-shirts made. That sounds, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Suzanne, what about you? Tell us a little bit about Mountain Film and the vibe that you guys create for the filmmaker and for the audience. Yeah, Mountain Film's been around since 1979. So we're one of the oldest documentary festivals in the country. The festival started as a climbing adventure festival that was put together by cinephiles who sort of went climbing during the day and then watched films about themselves at night. <laughs> and uh, all pretty much white guys was was the festival for many years. And then um, over the decades, it slowly broadened out to include more mountain culture and environmental films, and then more into social justice. And we've really been focusing also on more on equity and getting diversity behind the camera, which uh, especially in adventure films has been pretty lacking. It's It's a much broader festival now. And I'd say that the vibe we're trying to create is one we also have speakers that come um, that are that are experts, journalists, um, activists in many different areas. So we're kind of creating a vibe where you come to the festival and you're going to immerse yourself 
in, I don't want to say learning, but just kind of having your mind blown by, by not just the films, but um, leaders who in the field and, and things like climate change, many different types of issues that will kind of come up. And also we like to really focus on our intimacy. We have eight venues mm-hmm. and we just like to really create, because it's such a small town, it's in Telluride, Colorado. You can walk to all the venues. So you just kind of, you keep bumping into the same people again and again. So it just, I think for filmmakers creates intimate setting where you can just sort of talk to anybody. There's no VIP lounge. We're just very much all chatting with each other and it's pretty, pretty open. That's awesome. I'll kick it to Josh to chat about, you know, the, the film festival or our, you know, Lori said film festival, but I was just going to piggyback on what you were saying about intimacy. That's something I think that, that we really value as well. And, and it's hard to do that in a, in a city with as many people as there are in New York. But I think we, same with you, Andrew, kind of capitalizing on smaller venues and intimate environments is definitely something that we gravitate towards too. But yeah, Josh, Give us a little backstory on Lower East Side Film Festival, who, for those who don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'll give you the uh, the short version. Okay. You want the longer version, you come <laughs> to our festival. Um, <laughs> basically, the idea with our festival is we try to be a place for emerging filmmakers, early career filmmakers. We have shorts, features, music videos, pretty much everything under the sun we like to, to watch. And I think the the thing that maybe sets us apart from other festivals is like we sort of curate based on on theme rather than like who star name is in this thing uh, intentionally, because the whole idea was that the film festival started in a storefront in the Lower East Side and we just kind of showed films with our friends and that it's kind of similar I think to like how Mountain Film got started it's like just kind of whatever people got and things we're watching things we like and then it kind of grew to what it is now and now we have multiple venues but I think we've tried to condense and carry forward the idea of a festival that's it doesn't matter what part along the pecking order you are at you're invited and we want you there and so yeah you don't really see like red carpets and stuff you kind of just see everyone here for a party basically so we have lots of performers uh people walking on stilts sometimes but then we also you know love sitting down and watching just like a great doc about something so it's kind of a, a hodgepodge. Also, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think, you know, one thing I just wanted to get into in terms of programming is just tell us a little, you know, you don't have to reveal the whole pulling back the entire curtain, but just tell us, give us a little insight on the programming process um, for you guys. And, you know, how does that work? What are you looking for? Are you not looking for certain things? Like, ju- you know, just give us a little insight onto how how things work on the programming side. Uh, I'll, kick it, I'll kick it to Suzanne first. Well, First of all, we're looking for documentaries. It's funny how you can really say that pretty clearly, and yet people will still um, submit a fiction film, and it's Uh, just like, God, I feel so bad. You just wasted (laughs) your money. But yes, uh, documentary, short, mid-length, and features. I will say that um, we've been getting more. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll I'll start hopefully in a better order. We we get about 750, 800 submissions, and we we usually program about 120 or so mm-hmm. films, 125, 130, depending on how it's going. We have about 10 to 12 shorts program blocks on many themes, for, things from Indigenous voices to 
adventure to films about more about the about earth and and uh, climate about uh, and environmental issues so just like different thematic program blocks and then our features can really just be about just about anything and so our process is we have a screening committee that kind of takes a, a kind of a larger committee that takes a first pat look at films and then depending on the the votes it moves to an associate programmers team then programmers and then um, Lucy who my dear colleague who was supposed to be here with us this evening she and I take a look as it gets as things sort of get really either mixed votes or kind of two thumbs up we start to look at some of those films and um, yeah that's kind of the gist of our process and what we're looking for. We've been getting a lot more films in this sort of mid-range length, like 30-minute films. And we have found that those are a little harder to program. You know, we've done we've done a couple blocks called the long and short of it, <laughs> which uh -huh. has been, you know, kind of fun. But you know, basically you're only getting sort of three films mm -hmm. in. So we're still kind of playing around with that length, but it has been one that's been a bit harder for us, but that we've gotten more submissions lately of films that are really great that are in that lane. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we face a similar thing. We get films in that 20 to 30-ish range, and it, they're great films, but sometimes that means that they're taking up a significant portion of a, of a block, and uh, that means less other films get in, you know, that that kind of thing. So that, that's very common. Is there certain things that you guys are are not looking for other than not document, not, not uh, than scripted stuff? You know, are there things that you feel like that are more in line with the festival in terms of, you know, budget range or themes or anything like that? Or is it just, it just has to feel right? How do, how do you guys kind of make those decisions? Yeah, I mean, the there's sort of this like undercurrent of the festival from many years ago called it, we, that the festival celebrates indomitable spirit. And that can mean so many different things, but even something like a profile doc could be something that that we would that we would show. It just basically, if it's a really excellent film, we try not to show films that have had already too much exposure. We are pretty soon after Sundance, so we pick up usually a couple films from there, but we try not to get too many from there because we're, we're trying to like promote newer films. Definitely doesn't hurt if it's about a big environmental issue like like the territory or um, a film like that, uh, you know, our audiences are really going to enjoy something like that. Something where you really feel like it's a large issue and that people can need to learn more about it kind of film. It, social impact is pretty big in, in the types of films we screen. That's awesome. That's great. What about you, Andrew? Tell us a little bit about the programming process and things that you guys are looking for, or, you know, are there also misconceptions about what uh, you want? <laughs> yeah, there is. It's, a, I mean, one, one may be that there's this presumption that we're um, queer only and we're, we're not, you know, when you look at our lineup, you know, we're, we're a smaller festival, but we're, you know, there's, there's a uh, prestige and value in all of our laurels, but, you know, we, we sort of like create a brand around us, right? I, I'd like to be sort of a plain talker, put an apology up front. I don't, if I say anything poorly or, you know, please give me a little grace. I, I <laughs> but you know, we're, uh, a lot of this industry is queer. Provincetown is a great place to go to. We are very, we have very, very strong press and industry 
attendance, you know, Hollywood Reporter, Variety, IndieWire, you know, and, and then distributors and filmmakers and, you know, Cooper is usually with us from Sundance and all these other, a lot of people are there. But, you know, I look, because I'm a filmmaker myself, I look to now harness that and view a nonprofit like all of us are as, you know, through a lens of being a change maker and being an advocate and lifting up voices. And that's what makes me the most excited. When you look at our lineups over the last couple of years, you'll see, you know, and I always encourage people to just look at the last couple of years for a film festival when they're seeing whether or not they should apply to see if they see see some trends and see some things where their film sort of fits, you know, that'll give you, it won't answer all your questions, but it'll give you a general idea where the festival programs. When you see a Sundance title, it's generally the second or third times it's screened in the country. Mm-hmm. It is uh, it is something where we're, we benefit from being a June festival in that a lot of films at Sundance and South by take a while to figure out their festival strategies and many prioritize us for that. I really enjoy, uh, you know, partnering with Frameline and creating coast-to-coast premieres for films so that they're within the queer content because we overlap in dates and we coordinate and work very closely with them, which I I know a lot of festivals do and I wish more did, which is just, um, you know, to the benefit of the filmmaker. You know, we are, you know, Tribeca has now moved to June, which is fine. You know, we're, we're now, we used to be separated from them and work very closely with them in programming titles, but now we are their closing weekend. And it's still, it's just like, you know, it's the end of the festival cycle. Let's give these filmmakers another film, another festival to play at before, before this summer break. Mm-hmm. Um, when they're, when they may have, when they may have to wait until the fall for, for, you know, after a Tribeca premiere, some of those films may have to wait until the fall until they have another festival to play in. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, let's work together and let's, let's give them a one, two and give them something else. And we all know the films that at a big festival may fall through the cracks, but a small festival at a small festival, it really shines. And that's, that's where we really fit. I would say, you know, we're, we're not scared of, uh, we're not really scared of anything. It's like, you know, we kind of love being surprised and love being challenged. We like to challenge our audience as well. And we've got a very daring and sophisticated audience that I think all of us do. So I think you'll see a big mix. When you look at our festival, you see a big mix of what we do. There are three feature programmers, uh, myself, Lisa Viola, and Heidi Zwicker. There's a strong Sundance connection, but you shouldn't read too much into that. You know, Lisa was one of the original programmers. Heidi is currently a programmer prior to Heidi. Kim Utani was programming with us, Mike Plant programmed with us, you know, but what we really love about that is that they're like, this is the film that didn't get into Sundance and should have, and they're like, and they really advocate for it and push it through. It's not about repeating Sundance's stuff. It's just about, this is what our audience wants to see, whether it was in the Sundance lineup or didn't get in. It's sort of like, this is amazing. And this is what our audience wants to see. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've said a lot about Sundance, but we look at that at all the festivals. We look to, we look to curate from, as many festivals do, you know, we're, we're just curating a, from around the globe what we think our audience wants to see. It's not my taste, it's my audience's taste that I program to. And, uh, and our audience is really eclectic, really fun. They are not scared of something that is just a big fat mess. And I've programmed some films that are just the most beautiful messes in the world because it's in the John Waters vein of it, where it's mm-hmm. just like, where it may be the, we may be the only place that played it. And you're just sort of like, how'd that get in? I mean, I think everybody looks at a festival's lineup and goes, how'd that get in? Maybe they maybe they knew somebody, maybe they're producing it. It's like, for us, it's just sort of like, our audience, we just thought our audience would really like it. So you'll see a big mix. Josh, do you, do you find what Andrew just mentioned of programming for the audience to be something that you think about, perhaps maybe something plays well to you when you're viewing by yourself, but when you think about it with a larger group, maybe it yeah. sparks 
some something else that yeah for sure yeah i i think that's that's like we are very much thinking kind of in two ways i think when we're watching submissions and at least with our festival we try to get we have a pretty small uh, submission committee as well and so because of that we try to get our our eyes as a group on as many of the films as we can because there is uh, an experience with a film where it's just you you're watching it either on a tv computer whatever and you might enjoy that film or you might not enjoy that film and then i think there's a second experience with the film where you're watching it with a bunch of people and it plays a little bit differently and so i think as i'm putting these programs together with the the committee and i think we're trying to think about not only our experience as a group but also the experience for the audience that's going to be coming to see this you know and i think i try to tell the committee every year you know i love to be wrong or like i love to you know maybe have one opinion about something and then see it with the group and and wow it it had a different you know thing going on and i think that juxtaposition is is good it's healthy i I think there there's maybe a misconception that you know your film only gets watched once and we have like a very strong opinion and that's that and you know but i i i would hope that people know that we spend a lot of times a lot of time with a lot of these films really 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 talking about them for a long time and there are a lot of conversations that yeah like something I thought was for sure in just doesn't work, you know, and I, and and like I said, I think it's good if I'm wrong on something and I, that's why committee is there because, you know, we have to be able to talk about it in a way where, you know, it's not just my word. It's, it's, we try to do it as a group, at least. This is a, this is a question for whoever, whomever, (laughs) being filmmakers yourself, have there been any big lessons that you've learned from from being a programmer that you have then taken into your work as a creator. I'll yeah, it can usually be shorter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Along that, the way I say that is nobody ever left a movie saying, I wish that was longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you learned anything as a programmer in terms of uh, okay. looking at your own, your own work and things like that? I'll just say a festival should it should be win-win. I it bothers me when a festival really just programs your film and isn't thinking about you and isn't isn't uh, engaging you as an artist and giving you an opportunities at the festival. Some festivals are just so large that it's really hard to navigate. Other ones, you know, we do we know some horror stories from other festivals or things that we hear. But to me, it's like it's it, be very clear what you want out of the festival I do, I'm not a fan of just collecting laurel leaves I don't I don't think that that's something that filmmakers should really be doing it should be uh, you know and it is tough to navigate this 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 it's not an intuitive system for a, for a filmmaker you know what I've learned the most by being a programmer is how unique our our programming sort of mindset is and it is one that a nor that a quote-unquote normal filmmaker does it needs to be educated about needs to mm-hmm. understand how we wh- how and why we make the choices that we do and how we operate as an example you know I mean it's a simple thing but you know when you talk about films and length that we just said a second ago it's like you know the longer your short film is a the better it has to be than everything else because mm-hmm. it is it is commanding a huge amount of time of a, of a short film program block 
And, um, you know, and, and uh, I forgot my B, but there's a B. I'll come back to it. But they, uh, that's just the way my brain works. You know, they, they play either in front of a feature, which means it needs to be really, really short, or it needs to be part of what's usually an 80 to 90 minute block because audiences don't have the, the they don't want to sit for a two hour short film block. When you're, when you're asking you to take up a quarter of that, your film's got to be the best film they've ever seen and mm -hmm. better than everything else and deserving to take place of what could be four other films. So mm -hmm. it's like I, as a filmmaker, my 20 minute film played five festivals and it's the best film I've ever done in my life. My two minute film that I did as a goof played a million festivals and played everywhere. You know, huh. it's sort of like, you know, length does matter. And it's like, it's in a general sense, but there's, you know, as a, as a filmmaker, when you're looking, you know, that's something I learned being a programmer versus a filmmaker when you're on different sides of the desk, what you want. But the bottom line, I'll go back to what I said at the beginning is really just, you want a festival that's going to advocate for you. That's going to be on your side. That's going to give you opportunities. Mm -hmm. Not every festival does that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I hope I, I, I speak for all of us when I say we really value the filmmakers experience and making it seem very hands on and that they're not lost in a sea of a million films. It's something where I want to know every single filmmaker and I want to have conversations with them and we hang out with them and they, and, and they feel very seen and they feel like the film got the attention that that it deserved. And, um, and that's why I think also it's important to note, that's why we curate a smaller amount of films because we want to maintain that experience. And we want, we don't want to have hundreds and hundreds of films that we can't devote the time to, to chat with everybody and, and shine light on their film. So yeah, I think that that's, that's a really important lesson to, to, to make sure pe people know is that you can submit to the biggest film festival you want, but you might not get the experience of a, a very intimate environment where you can have people coming up to you after the film and talking to you and, and getting to know you and making connections. And I think our, our, I'm not going to toot our horn too hard, but I think our, our audience comes back year after year too, because it's, it's very immersive and it's like, there's no line between filmmaker and audience. We're just trying to like make people make connections. And a lot of them have worked together after meeting each other at the festival. We see collaborations coming through year after year from folks that have kind of somehow connected. It's great. You know? So I think that that's, you have to truly do identify the why you're submitting to why you're to where you're submitting you know like it, what is the experience you want out of that this is this is an interesting question from allison um in the chat she asks uh does it not work to schedule three or four 30 minute films in a block well you know i always i always Space advise chat. filmmakers to go by the odd uh, to play to the odds so there's i should have said up front there's an exception to everything i say <laughs> and it's sort of, you know, but it's like what I what I what I find is yes, there will be festivals that program two 30 minute films or three 30 minute films into a block. Uh, but the odds are lower that that will happen. Uh, don't take it personally if your film doesn't happen. It's just tougher to program a film that way. Think of an audience. Audiences when they buy a, a, a ticket to a short film block are looking for variety and, and for, to some extent quantity. We often program when it's really, really on brand and it speaks to our audience, two to three uh, films that, that co together comprise 90 minutes because, you know, I saw a documentary years ago about a, a doc about Kahinde Wiley. Our town is about, it's 36 minutes long. It is, uh, our town is a film, is filled with artists. And I was like, everybody needs to see this film. 
So then I start to create a block around it, but it's anchored by a 36 minute piece. So Lucy Walker did a piece about David Hockney and then there's somebody else that we put in there and it's a smaller number of films in that block, but it tends, but where it's gonna fit best, where that, where I find that model tends to happen is when you are uniquely aligned with that festival, not just a good 30 minute film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree, Andrew. It just it's your your odds go down. Like for for our kind of thirty minute ish films, twenty over twenty minutes to thirty, you know, it's two blocks versus twelve. There's twelve blocks of shorts, and and so it just your odds just go down. I mean, we can pair like a, a film that's going for the short film Oscar, perhaps like they have the thirty nine fifty eight length. We compare one of those with a twenty minute film, maybe in a thirty minute film. But it just it, your odds just definitely start to go down as soon as for me it feels like as soon as you're over like twenty minutes, it just gets it just gets harder. You had talked about sorry, <laughs> well you had talked about programming around a theme. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. How does yeah, how yeah. does that sort of happen? So, so I think it that starts to influence your timing as well. I know that every festival is different, and you know sometimes there's shorts programs that are almost two hours long, uh, and that's fine if they're really amazing. I think, but I think it it goes back to that sort of who's your audience that's coming to that. If they're coming expecting to watch, you know, doc shorts for two hours, then yeah, then that makes sense to program that right for our festival. Our programs tend to be around an hour-ish, um, just because I think within that time, it helps make the shorts that are in that program shine a bit more, particularly because we do program based on a theme. And I think within around like an hour to an hour and 20, that's a good amount of time for people to sit with a theme. And, and we're also like, by programming to a theme, we're asking the audience to trust our curation beyond maybe like the name of the film, the people associated with the film. And so we want to try to uh, take that into consideration. And so because of that, I think we choose a, a shorter running length of time so that we're trying to take into account people's attention, not just attention, but just Hey, like we're taking responsibility for their time and saying, hey, we're not going to, you know, spend all night on this, but we have, we think that this is like the best hour or hour and 20 that we can put together for you, basically. Yeah, Are there was, I would, I would also okay. add what I think is really important is like we sort of implied it, the, the 30 minute piece, you know, it more often works with docs. It's definitely, you know, some docs don't, don't, it feels padded to go to feature length and this is the right length. But with the short, with a short narrative, just keep in mind the sh a short format are different rules than a feature film. And the longer your short gets, the more you're playing by different. You're not really, in some ways, you're not embracing the short film format. You're trying to be a mini feature, or you're mm -hmm. trying to be a, a, a pilot, or you're trying. And there are festivals that embrace that, but a lot of short film programs are embracing the short film format, and it's mm -hmm. sort of like that can be a comedy that's so if it were more than five minutes, it would fall apart. It's sort of like, you know, it's this opportunity to really discover storytelling and people who are embracing the short being the short film program. Uh, there are exceptions to every rule, as I said before, but I, I would make that caveat of like, say, the 30 minute plus. If you're a doc, 
there's there's a little bit different rules around that. Yeah, I, I was just going to add, I see some questions in the chat that I'll get to in a second. I was just going to add around the length for us too, and, and, and Josh can talk on this too, is that in terms of themes, it's also about building out an experience. It's We've had shorts in the festival before that were 30 minutes or you know something in that vein, and we programmed them um, almost alone, but not alone in terms of just that one film. We created a, an experience to go along with that. So for example, we had a short in the festival a couple years ago about stand-up comedy. It was a great doc about two 80-year-olds trying stand-up comedy for the first time. And we just loved it and 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 it really, really stood out. And we thought, gosh, if the if this was in a program with three or four other docs, it's it's gonna feel bloated. It's just gonna seem so long. But what if we do the opposite where we only show this, but we build out an a whole event. So we did a screening uh the, ahead of the screening we did a, a stand-up comedy show with up-and-coming comedians then we show the film and then afterwards there's a Q&A with those subjects from the film and some some other comedians to you know it was it was a, it was a great time and I think that's that's something to you know that we really really look for is like what film can we provide this whole extra experience for but it's just if it's going to be that length it's got to be really special and it's got to really like you know grab our attention but yeah in the line of of themes and stuff too do you um you know josh tell us a little bit more about what you mean by theme but i'm also curious if that's something that you guys come across um in provincetown or in mountain film yeah so i i think by theme we we you know we like to name the the, the program in some way because um, I think that's been something that's really worked for us and it's a way to rally around the filmmakers and so that there is no specific one film that is more important than the others. Also, I think there are some festivals that will almost disregard some of their programs by just calling it like block A, block B, block C. So like as a filmmaker, it's kind of like, I got into this festival, but you have to, the only way to like find my film is to like know the name of my film on a back page of the website. And maybe you go to block A and you happen to find it, you know? And so I think like by sort of rallying the night around a theme, or, or the program around a theme, it's something that's a little bit more provocative so that people are attracted to come see it. And that surprise of seeing this film in that block, there's just a little bit more to, you know, to get them to get them there. And so um, maybe to answer the question about how we decide those themes, we, we try to go into every year not having any specific mandate of what nights or themes we have to have. We try to keep it open every year. And so it really has to do with what films we get in our submissions. And then once we get to a closer space of knowing like really the core group of what's in the running, then we start to think, okay, maybe there's like, we talk about what each film talks about, use that to inform putting together nights. And maybe it's like, this film might work with this one, oh, but maybe it could work with this one better, you know? And so that kind of goes into what we were talking about of trying to champion the filmmaker as best we can, because we want to make sure that the program that it's in, it doesn't either get lost or it doesn't overweigh some of the other films. 
that makes sense. Yeah, I, and I think just to just to piggyback on that too, that the the reason to say that is that it doesn't. If your film doesn't get in, it doesn't mean that it wasn't good. It means that yes. it just didn't fit this year. And because like we've definitely had films that we loved, and we're just like, ooh, but there's not a block that is going to do this film justice. You know, like say, yeah. say yeah, say we have a block of hilarious comedy shorts and we have a film that's extremely heartwarming and and sad we're not just gonna throw that in to the comedy block we're gonna say shoot there's not room for this one this year but that doesn't mean that it was bad and so I I do I do think sometimes filmmakers I hope they don't take it personally if they don't get in because it really doesn't necessarily mean that we weren't enjoying your film it just means that we're trying to create a really specific curated experience so you know don't take it don't take it personally <laughs> every yeah, time. <laughs> yeah, we want to be the first people or the second or whatever, third, you know, in your festival run. We want to be your biggest fans, you know, and we want people to see your film. And so I think part of doing that is pairing it in a way where it really shines to the biggest possibility it can, you know, in that theater, you know, and, and I think we're all filmmakers who run this festival. And so I think we've all collectively had experiences of getting kind of lost in the sauce of the festival. And so we are adamantly doing work to try to make sure, like what you were saying, Roxy, about like, it's a little bit smaller, but hopefully the people that are there just have, it's such a great time, you know? And I, and I will say like, Mountain Film does that so well, you know, like I didn't know what to expect when I got there with my film, but when I got there, it was such an amazing experience for similar reasons. Yeah, for, the, for those of you listening, um, Josh uh, uh, had a film in Mountain Film, which is awesome. We had a question too about, about regional considerations too. I'm curious where all of our festivals are in kind of very specific regions. How does your festival, I guess, you know, curate to that or maybe not, or, you know, serve the community specifically? Is that important to you in terms of programming? And is there is there competition? Are there other festivals that do something similar to you in that area that you're trying to, you know, compete with potentially? Or how does the region impact your your festival? Well, you know, I really love in, in Massachusetts, you know, we have there are great festivals. You know, there's there's international there's independent film festival, uh, festival Boston, IFFB, Nantucket, uh, Woods Hole and, and, and others. And it's like, you know, when I started so many years ago, you know, people operated from a from a viewpoint of scarcity instead of abundance. And, and I was just like, we're all different audiences. Nobody's making a decision. I'm going to go to Nantucket this year. I'm going to go to Provincetown or I'm going to go. We're, we've got our audiences. Let's all, if we think our audience wants to see it, let's all program it. It's okay. It's sort of particularly the New England, new, the New England content. It's sort of like, you know, I, I like to think that we're past this place that festivals are sort of competing with each other for this. We each have cultivated our own audiences and we need to, pro and I, as I said before, I feel we need to program to them. New, I just came back from the New Orleans Film Festival and I go there all the time and I just love how they lift up Southern voices and I love how they design, how they, how they do that. And, and, and I just take that as a challenge and as an inspiration into all that I do to say like, you know, hey, I'm uniquely positioned here to lift up New England voices. What can I do? You know, and it's sort of like, so yes, we are looking for that. We do celebrate that and we love that, you know, in general, it's uh, for the regional stuff. It's like, you know, I think, I think it's really, I think it's, you know, and I live in Minneapolis and there's, you know, our festivals here really celebrate, uh, you know, Midwestern, upper Midwestern voices and the Minneapolis film community here. And mm -hmm. I think it's just so important to, to do that. 
Yeah, big ditto on that. Like if we find a film that uh, tells a story of the Southwest or Colorado, it definitely piques our interest and it's a gift. You know, we don't choose a film just because of that, but it definitely right. gives it more attention because we're just like, wow, this is a Colorado story or this this is about a, sh a shelter for migrants in Denver. Um, this takes place um, in, on the Navajo Res, or this is, you know, when a story there. So that that's the kind of thing that we definitely will take special notice notice of. You know, if I may, I would just throw out, you know, with a narrative, because I produce these and I love them. So don't take this as a negative thing, but a feature with quote unquote, no name town. This, I hate that term. I'm using a term that others have used and I just, hey, I wish we could, I, I want to find another one with mm -hmm. um, undiscovered talent, with undiscovered talent, something like that. It's sort of like if the film shot in Cape Cod, it's much more likely for Provincetown to take it than the Minneapolis Film Festival to take it. You have to understand that it's sort of like, you know, I think filmmakers need to understand that it's sort of like there's a, to be a plain speaker, at some point festivals worry about how many, uh, am I going to be able to sell tickets to this? Mm -hmm. And it's, and in it, for that no-name uh, cast that shot on Cape Cod, I got something I can sell that film around. And mm -hmm. I, now this is all from a presumption of I love the film. Now in Minneapolis, they love the film, but they're worried about selling tickets to it. You know, and it's a, just like the film that's shot in Minneapolis and is so very Midwestern, you know, I have a little bit, I, I've got to find a way, I've got to find some things to, 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 to hook some promotion around it because it's no favor to you to program your film and have no one show up. I'm not saying this from an economic standpoint. It's yes, that's part of it, but I'm also saying it from a like, it's no favor to you if no one shows up. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I think um, with our festival being in New York, we have a little bit more ability. Yep. You know, our city is an international city. So one of the coolest sort of parts of being in New York City is that we can sort of like champion international voices and things like that because it is like a hub of where people can uh, congregate. So that being said, we do love, you know, love films that are sort of inspired or, or operating in the same spirit of that independent Lower East Side Sort of the history of the Lower East Side, and so like we have we have like our neighborhood award, and we look for that as well. But I thought I saw something in the chat about you know foreign films and and our stance on that, and I think we're open to everything. Again, we we do have a, a nice advantage of being in New York City because it is like a, a hub for a lot of different culture, you know, um, mm -hmm. which is you know not necessarily that's not like it's not the case in some other festivals that are more regional, but. You know, New York can be a little easier to get to than some places. And so if, if people can make it, you know, we'd love and it's a great film. We'd love to show it. Yeah, I think also in New York, too, like there are so many festivals and there's just so, so much so many things going on. Like to us, I feel like it doesn't matter if it's foreign, if it's a doc, if it's a narrative, if it's experimental, whatever. We're just trying to give something to our audience that they haven't seen in that way. But on that note, I was going to ask too, how important to you guys do you feel like a premiere status is? Is that something that is crucial? Do you care? I mean, what's your, what's the kind of history on that in terms of stuff that you guys have shown? Does that something that impacts your choices? I've, <laughs> I love how I've we all pause. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll give it to you, Suzanne, go. <laughs> oh, oh gosh. Um, well, you know, we... We love we love it if the film's at least a Colorado premiere. We don't always have that happen, but you know we, we try for that. And then you know we do get a, a chunk of world premieres each year. 
but it's not, and, and, and that also is kind of like going back to that newer films, newer voices. So one part of the reason we are, get excited about a world premiere, we had the world premiere of a, of a film called the Holly this year, which was based on a book set in Denver, uh, about policing. And, um, hmm. so that was one where it really made sense for us. We kind of tried to get the world premiere for that. And I, and I think it went well because they had all their, their whole team come from Denver and it just really made sense. So, and then we had another world premiere for a film called Surf Nation, which was about um, uh, in China, surfing becoming a Olympic sport. Mm. And just like going through almost the whole Chinese system of creating little Olympic surfers when they don't have any real passion for the sport necessarily. So, so if it fits mountain film, then yeah, we, we, we love to have some world premieres and we have more in shorts than we do in features, um, but it's definitely not something that's mandatory. We never program with it. When it comes time to put the catalog together is often the first time we ask about where the premiere, what the premiere status is. I feel Provincetown is a little unique in that we're, you know, we, it, it works itself out. We have, you know, Baz Luhrmann gave us the North American premiere of Elvis. You know, Sofia Coppola gave us the North American premiere of The Beguile. It's sort of like, you know, right after Cannes. It's like these things sort of happen, but we program it because we love the movie. And it's mm -hmm. sort of like, but the, uh, but that said, it's like, I found, I've given up premiere status to overlapping festivals because I don't care. I'm like, you know, you want it, program it on Tuesday, we'll play it Wednesday. Come down to sometimes where it's like, okay, you played at seven o'clock and I'll play at nine so you can have the, the premiere. I really don't care. It's like mm -hmm. my audience isn't coming there to see the premiere, they're coming to see a film they love. That's where we program from. I think, you know, it's always exciting if it's a premiere. It, it's not like a huge factor to us. I will say though, particularly with shorts, if it has been everywhere on the internet or like a ton of festivals, I, I don't know if it's, we're going to be doing you a service by screening it when we could do that same service to a film that hasn't screened a lot of places. I think, you know, a couple of festivals is fine. So I think it's like kind of a middle ground, right? I think similarly to Andrew, like seeing a ton of laurels that kind of takes me out of it a little bit because it's like, I, I don't know where I can really start to help in your journey. That's yeah. a really good point. It's a really good point. Uh, when, when I see a million laurels, I'm like, uh, part of it is like, we're, we're trying to be on the lead at the leading edge of a film instead of the tail edge of its play. We want to be a, dis we want to discover, we don't want to copy. You know, that's one issue when it comes to the, the flip side of a premiere is a film that's over, not overplayed, but you know what I mean? It's it's so, it's highly played. But then the, the other thing that I'll say is like, when it comes to shorts is that, yeah, film can have a lot of hits and even a million hits or something like that. But our audience isn't trolling, isn't going through the internet looking for short films. They're not. They're looking for a curated program. So every festival here, and I love this diversity of the festival here. A New York festival is so very different from a mountain festival, from this <laughs> from this boutique festival in the tip of the cape. So everybody's different, and there's no judgment to anybody else's stuff when I say this. It's sort of like we, that's the way we look at shorts. Is sort of like our audience isn't isn't looking at it through the internet. So if it has a million hits and we love it, it's like they're finding out for for the first time. Mm, you know, exactly. uh, we're, yeah. you know, so we're, so we're, you know, that's where our festival comes from. Like who has the time as an audience member, they just want you to pick amazing films and give them a mm. great night. They're not like, very few people are going to be like surfing Vimeo, trying to find the best 
content or whatever. Yeah, exactly. They want a highly highly curated, Mm -hmm. fantastic program. That's funny that you say that because I I agree with you. I do think that's true. Most people are not doing that. I will say for our audience, we skew pretty young sometimes. I mean, if we have a 21 and up event, sometimes it's risky for how many people are trying to get in. So like, I, I do think that like, there is a bit of that Vimeo YouTube culture, especially if it's in a short form, if it's a music video, things like that, that we definitely have to take into consideration sometimes. But all that said, I, I, I will say like, if we feel like our audience probably hasn't seen it, even if it has lots of views, like, and we really, really love it. We still want to give them that, that experience. That's what's so great about this as far as demystifying things is like, it's like, guys, when you get a rejection, look at, we each came to that question in three different ways. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like, you know, and it wasn't about whether we liked it. It also from places we like your film, you know, it's sort of like, but you may not have gotten into two of these three festivals, but for a reason that had nothing to do with the quality of your film it had to do with the audience and it had to do with the programming and it had to do with the competition you have in different markets and who you're programming against and did that mm-hmm. festival play it and did i i mean yeah we, we at a certain point we don't want excessive overlap with iffb or nantucket we mm-hmm. will turn down a film because it's like that we absolutely love because we can't be repeating that festival's lineup Mm-hmm. you know, uh, and then, you know, but there, that's just one example, but there's a lot of different things that go into it. And I always tell filmmakers, it's just like, you don't know what other films you were up against that year. You don't know what other constraints were going up against the festival and the programming staff that year. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it, so it's easy to take a rejection as I did in my early career of like, I'm no good. It's like, no, it's not <laughs> the case. Don't, don't start from there. Submit that early film to us and we'll judge it and we'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I I wanted to add just a little bit, and it's related to premiere status. I think you can start, you asked the question about like what, how we learned in terms of being filmmakers ourselves. Um, one of the things I did want to say was, you know, technology is at a place where you can, you can shoot on amazing cameras for the cheapest it's ever been. You can have amazing special effects. You can, you, sometimes you can get a, amazing people in your film, but sometimes I think because of that, the uh, audiences are getting smarter to realizing that it's not just about how the film looks like people really love the story and the writing and the sound. So <laughs> if I can, if I can impart one thing to <laughs> big, you know, big sound to focus on, I, I mean, I think, there's a lot of value in a film that might not be shot amazing, but it has amazing sound and the writing is really, really good. And you've thought about your shots and, you know, you did your work with your actors and everyone's really working together. The costume design, the production design, you know, you can do things on a small budget but still have a priority that goes towards your story. Right. And so mm-hmm. I just, I think that's something that is, you know, kind of in the same thing of what we're looking for. Um, I think it's important to not forget story and not forget like why you're making the film in the first place, rather than all the bells and whistles that you can put on top of it to make it look pretty. Yeah, we went to the same church, Josh. (laughs) That's like like whenever I'm, I'm working with students, I'm always just like, please don't forget sound. Sound is so important. And, but people are so into cinematography 
that sometimes there's so many times I'll start watching a film that's been submitted and it looks beautiful. I'm like, wow, this is beautiful. And about three or four minutes in, I'm like, oh no, it's going to be one of those films that has no story. It's just not going to go anywhere. Yeah. So just, yeah, yeah the story is the most important thing. I advise a lot of filmmakers. A, a, a lot of, I run a, a film nonprofit in the Twin Cities called Film North, which is a um, you know one of the largest film service organizations in the country. I, I advise a lot of filmmakers. And I say, you know, good enough doesn't often get you, doesn't really get you into the festival. A lot of them are like, isn't it good enough? what it is is like good films rise up to the level where they're being competitive within the festival and then when we're making our final decisions we're we're nitpicking and it's sort of like you know it's I liken it to a cooking show where it's like a really great chef gets out because it it gets kicked out because they put in too much salt in the protein that week or they miscooked their protein it's sort of like there's this thing where it's like I advised one filmmaker here in Minnesota where I saw a rough cut of his film and I said I love your film. Sunday should love it. It should be a big thing. I see three nitpicks. Let's let's address those and increase your odds of getting into the festival. Another filmmaker had uh, here had done this most, and it did get in. And he was named to twenty five filmmakers to watch. And it's like there are fine lines between between things. And it is about not settling for good enough. It's about tr- realizing you're up against a lot of other great competition. And at some point, you don't want a little JV mistake to sort of get you out. And sound design's a big one. I advised <laughs> another film. I was like, your sound design is awful. And I said, but your film is amazing. And it got rejected by everywhere. And after hearing that, not just from me, but from a bunch of other people, they opened it up again, redid the sound design. It won LA Film Festival. It got distribution. And he was like, why are they judging me on the sound design? And I'm like, you're the director. You signed off on everything. And mm-hmm. it's sort of like, you know, and it's sort of like they want to discover you and you made bad choices. And yes, sound design matters. Yes, your production design matters, your costume design and these other things, because we're 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 in the business of discovery and we don't want somebody who's good at two things and bad at five. Hmm. You know, it's sort of, you know what I mean? It's sort of like last thing is one other filmmaker made this great film I adored, which was 22 minutes long. And I was like, guys, programmers are just, they, they're putting it at the bottom of the pile to watch because they're going to watch all the short ones first. Yes. And also they're kind of hating you before they even watch it because they feel you don't know the rules. And by the time, you know, they've gone into your film not liking it before they even watched it. And it's sort of like, and I said, let's just get it down to 17 minutes. I see a 17 minute film here. And I hmm. said, make it 1759 and just tell them it's 17. Just get it in and it was like no this is my ride or die cut and it was sort of like and after three months of rejections he said okay let's do that cut and it started to win festivals get in when it was shortlisted for oscars one of 10 films and at one festival somebody came up to him gave him six million dollars to make a movie i i don't say this to pat myself on the back i'm just saying to you to this day this filmmaker said i got out of my way i cut out four minutes i understood the rules of what film festivals want and put in a put in a, a length that they were that they weren't gonna just hate it before they watched it, which is a big thing. Is there anything? And then I think we're gonna wrap it up. Thank you all so much for generously giving your time. And if there's any last minute questions in the chat, throw those in. But is there anything that you can pinpoint as a as just a big something that Erxia that you see repeatedly. I mean, we were, you know, we're we're getting, we've been getting to it. Well, I mean, talking about sound design and and all those things. But is there is there one thing that you see over and over again that irks you, or I don't or know. I, I was gonna say any trends that you guys have been seeing? Oh, that's a good uh, word. Yeah, <laughs> over the over the years that, or I mean, in the recent years that are just, you know, yeah. Tell us, tell us. <laughs> 
that irk you or that you love? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll go first. I, I mean, I think it, it goes to what can you do with what do you have available and just how, how are you putting your consideration into it and, and showing your perspective and your point of view to the best of your ability. There's a million films out there that look great, but like, what can you do with, you know, your best friends that you're making this with? And I also think to try to put some thought into the decisions you're making and what takes up that time, especially if you're going to be making a short. If you are going to be taking up longer and longer amounts of time, is there a reason for it, right? Is there is there a reason that that story needs to get longer and longer? And if, <laughs> if you can if you can answer that question, then keep going for it. You know, <laughs> yeah, I would I would say that. What about you, Andrew? Is there any anything that irks you that you've seen, or any trends <laughs> that any trends that have arose? <laughs> You know, it's like there are two things that come to mind. One is just low budget films that are play by studio rules. It's sort of like it's like embrace your budget. Tell me a story that fits the budget. It's like I, I advised another film that was about opioid addiction in the Northwest. It's like, why does your film look so pretty? Fuck it up. Make it look, make it look, have the cinematography. And he was like, oh, well, we just thought that's what everybody wanted. They wanted it to look more glossy. It's like, no, I want it to look authentic. I, I oftentimes ask students to come up with three pitches and it generally comes out to the first pitch is what they think they think I want. You know, they're trying to please me and the equivalent for any filmmaker else, you're trying to please a programmer, please an audience, please the industry. The other one is they're trying to imitate somebody, a hero like Tarantino or Sofia Coppola or whomever. And then the last one, almost always, almost always, they bury in third place the film that makes them vulnerable. And I'm like, that's the one I want to see. Go to the places that scare you. Go to the places that, that you know, if they scare you, they scare somebody else. And you found somebody who needed to hear it. That's where I connect. What about you, Suzanne? I think they pretty much covered it, but I think a biggie is the further we get into the process, the more I see films where, where the filmmaker is just hanging on too tightly, where every scene they think is precious. Mm -hmm. And maybe because I was an editor first, but before directing, producing, it's just like, you just got to throw out the babies, you know, it just, it's just, <laughs> just like ask yourself the hard questions. Can this be shorter? Have someone that you really trust watch, watch it and make sure it makes sense. And is every scene vital. It needs to be the mm -hmm. essence, the, 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 the absolute essence of the story, not just like all this extra stuff that just doesn't matter. It starts yeah. to get watered down and, and you just, you, you know, after watching a couple hundred films, you, you're right. You just start to feel a little pissed, like, oh. You know? <laughs> yeah, and that kind of goes into a question that somebody had, like when to submit. You know, it's just, uh, and I'll I'll let you guys do that if we have time. But yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. If, I, if I may, one of the one of the thing that really bothers me is the precious writer, as you said, that feels like oh, there's all this really interesting stuff I need to lay the groundwork for before the story really starts. It's like you know what? It's it's important to you. It's oftentimes not important <laughs> to the audience. What's the latest yeah. you can get into the story, and what's and the, the latest you can get into yeah. a scene. And what's the earliest you can get out of yeah. the story and the earliest you can get out of the scene. I just watched a 120-minute film, and at the 90-minute mark, I was like, your film is over here. Often, everything I tell you is something where I made the mistake. I mean, I made a, a short film that did really well in the festival circuit years ago, and it was like, and I had somebody sit there and snap their fingers two minutes before the ending and said, your film's over. Everything else, you're just, it's just for you. It's yeah. like, what, you know, it's not the, the story ended. Get over yeah. it, figure it yeah. out. Audiences are smart, well, I, don't think they're dumb and and just realize that and don't repeat the same thing again and again. Like you'll you'll hear a fact and then they'll say it again and someone will say it again. It was like, we already heard exactly. this. 
It's like, ah. <laughs> say it once. Say it once. We heard it. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, watch it, watch your film with a group, because ultimately, like, I mean, you don't want to share it with everyone. Obviously, you're trying to get the festival premiere, but you know what I mean? Like, share, share it with some folks and watch it in a room of people, because that's the ultimate goal. You want to be in a theater experience with people. And I feel like, I mean, this is like, yeah, me having my editing brain on too, but like, you can just feel, you can feel the shifting in their seats and the like, wait, what time is it kind of sense? Like, even if it's a short, like, I feel like you can just feel that energy change so much and you'll just instantly know, oh, yikes this scene is way too long or unnecessary or they're straining to hear or whatever it is you know what I mean so I think that's that's yeah also I think when you're when you're getting notes from your trusted friends just listen and don't retort with comments <laughs> like well I put that in because well we can't put that in the closed captioning so <laughs> you know either the audience gets it or they don't right. so yeah. just just yeah. listen the the to other big thing the I'll say about yeah. that, because I love what mm -hmm. I love what you just what, what you just said, Shannon, is you know, is when you get a note, oftentimes a filmmaker will focus on the most on, on what was said instead of what was the subtext, what was meant by the note. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of audiences mm -hmm. don't have the language we have. And it, I mean, for instance, in a feature, if somebody says the film was slow, it often means that we didn't hit the plot first plot point within the first 20 minutes. Mm. It's sort of like, you know, so don't dismiss it and say like, oh, they said it was slow. I don't know. That's a stupid note. It's like, think about what that means. Take every note seriously and think about it from a lot of different angles of like, what were they really getting at? You know, what could I fix that? How, what are they really saying? Because a lot of your friends don't know how to express themselves in film terms. Mm. Also like, it, also, if you're if you're gonna make an artsy choice, I I did quotes. You can't see my hands, but uh, <laughs> if, if you're gonna make if you're gonna make a cool artsy, you know, brooding idea, just know that like you need to do it for a reason, not just because it's cool and artsy. Because that stuff is great, but also like a really dumb joke can do wonders for your story if that works as well, you know, and so. <laughs> I think both have to have a place in the film correctly if it calls for it, right? And so I think there's a lot of a lot of people to the point of trying to do something because they think they have to do that for their story when you really don't need that. And maybe just lean into what I think you because I feel like when you're watching these films, I feel like I could see where they want to go. But then they sort of like abandon their their, you know, maybe silliness or their, um, I don't know, simplicity for something that's a little bit more like grandiose or more like, you know, extravagant because they think that that's what they need to tell their story correctly, mm. right? But there's no perfect way to tell a story. And I think, you know, if you can just hone in on why are you saying this and, you know, do you need this and what is it saying about, you know, your story overall? Mm -hmm. And why are you throwing in animation all of a sudden without it being part of the language of the film? And you've only right. done it, doing it one time. It's like, what? I mean, there's all kinds yeah, yeah, of things. Yeah. Like it really has to hold together as what's the language and tone of your film and don't just throw crap at us 
at the audience that's just out of nowhere we're just like wait a minute I didn't think that was what this film was like at all yeah one last question in the and if you guys have any other questions feel free but we'll we'll um, wrap up shortly I was just gonna get to one that someone asked about at what point in the submission process you know does it matter okay uh, submissions open August and they close in you know January does it matter when in that in that timeline you're submitting uh, d- does that impact your chances at all as as programmers? How does a, a, the timeline affect you guys, if at all? You get more and more tired. <laughs> I have, I have, Look, I feel like I want- have less patience near the end. Like early on, I'm looking at every film and I'm just like, wow. <laughs> and late and <laughs> late films are when films are late, we're letting them, unless it's a late film, because we've pretty much asked for it or whatever. But someone who says, hey, can I t- get, turn it in late? Um, I, I just pretty much, I don't have as much patience later on. What I'll, what I'll share is that, you know, I, I pre-screened U.S. Narrative for Sundance for a few years, and I have about hundreds and hundreds of films in like a very compressed period of time, but I was available from the moment submissions were open. So when those early things came across my desk and I, and, and I was viewing them, I was fresh. I was watching at a time when I, when it was good for me and I was in a good headspace at a certain point. I've got to watch six films a day, no matter what my mood is. If I had a fight with my partner, if I had, if I woke up feeling sick, I've got to plow through these. So <laughs> yes, if you're submitting it early, you're going to get fresher eyes. You're going to get, you're going to get more engagement, not necessarily more engagement, better engagement. And, you know, and also you get to set the bar. You mm. get, I, if I like your film, I'm like, every other film is now judged against you. And it's sort of like, you know, and it's like, mm-hmm. but it, the longer you wait, every filmmaker seems to wait for the end. And it's sort of like for the dead, for the last deadline. And it's like, it, it, so do the math. Look how many films are coming in in a crush and how much time I have from that to making the final decisions. Every film that came before you had a lot more thoughtful and careful, I'm just being honest, consideration. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, it's not to say that you didn't get thoughtful and careful consideration when you submitted late. But it's just you increase your odds if you can avoid submitting at the deadline. Mm-hmm. What do you say? Opinion. What do you think, Josh? Uh, I disagree with both of them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you should. It's <laughs> no, uh, God's sakes, we can't I, all agree. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. It's a long process. We have a lot of work to do. So get in there early. Get give yourself the best chance. Um, and then, yeah, similarly, if you are going to be submitting late, just know that that is going to be something going against you, just given the quantity of it all, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot I'll of say, work. I'll say, and I'll say with some of the bigger festivals, to, you know, like the Sundance South by Tribeca that, that are just flooded with, you know, like 10,000 submissions or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there is, if you're not a filmmaker that's been tracked within their system, you're being put through a, a very fair process, but it's going to take a while for you to get to the programmer and mm-hmm. you have to bubble up through all these other things. And then what if you're landing on an, uh, on a, I don't want to say intern, but you know, but you know what, it's sort of like, there are a lot, there's a broad group of people watching stuff, but it's not the programmer. It's not the final decision person. What if you're landing on that person's uh, screening list on a bad day for them? Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, you know, so it's like, it takes a while to bubble up in larger systems. I think in our festivals, we all sort of, it's different for us. So I'm just, I, I'm just sharing a little bit what I think is what I tell people when they're submitting to Sundance and why they shouldn't be putting in at the last minute there mm. is that, is that, you know, the last minute submission to the big festival 
is going to go that from a filmmaker that is not being known and cracked by them is going to go through a fair process, but a long process. Mm -hmm. And then my worry is you're a good film and you're going to start coming into this, the conversation when they got three spots left. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was just going to say that too, is that, you know, we try not to completely lock our schedule until after everybody's in, but at the same time, like Josh was saying, if there's, if there's themes that are arising in the films that we're seeing, for instance, a common theme we've done over the years is mindfuck night. And mindfuck night is always just like, you know, a crazy ride of like, fuck up your mind, essentially. And if we already have, and that's not a guarantee, we don't do that every year. But if we have a lot of mind, if we have a lot of films in, in the programmers brains that are like, oh, let's be good for mindfuck night. And then it's kind of, you know, already full of that. And you're, you're submitting at the last second, you know, there might not really be a theme that, that you fit with anymore or something like that. Like we've already kind of made up, like I said, we haven't made up our minds, but like we kind of have some general vibes that we're going for. And we're like trending in a, a direction. Yeah, we're trending. Like one year we had a bunch of films that featured twins. There was docs, there was narratives that we were like, okay, we're doing twin night. That was a good you one. Know? <laughs> and Look, sadly we didn't get- quite enough twins but we were we were looking for twins at that point and and you know it, whatever but it didn't it didn't pan out but um but you know what I mean like we've kind of we've seen a lot already so it's just like you're 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 going up against other folks that and, look, seen. and the benefit there is if you're an early favorite if I see a say we'll talk about short films or it goes for features as well but if I but in shorts say I watch a short that I really like I'm starting to look and I, I want to start building a program around it. I'm yeah, starting exactly. to look at the at the films after it through the lens of will it fit with that? Yeah, it becomes you know, an anchor and it's sort film. Of, yeah. And and yeah. when you get in early and you get and you get love from that filmmaker, uh, from that programmer, you're in a you're in a much better position than if you come in really late and they because they've already done that. Mm -hmm. You know, when you come in late, that is that happens every year. We're look we're we're starting to build programs around the around the shorts that we love. And when we start to see themes, we're like, okay, climate change is a big thing this year, or okay, you know, it's sort of like it's family issues or it's this. It's sort of we start looking at the films after that through that lens of like, mm -hmm. will it can I create a sidebar? Do I have enough to create a to create a moment? Is there a press release around this? Is there a, mm -hmm. you know, can I can I make a theme this year and lift something up? Mm -hmm. you know the early in is best dressed yeah well that that kind of brings us to our to our conclusion um you know the one thing i was just going to impart too is like we're all just human we're just people that are loving films and watching films so it, you know i just want to say too to anyone who's listening thank you for thinking of us as a festival that you might want to submit to and just know that it's not like a college acceptance letter like we're, we're just people who are trying to create a vibe for our audience and obviously we've heard a lot about different kinds of audiences and different different vibes so I think you know just try to do your research on who you're submitting to and know that we love we loved we might have loved your film but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't come back next year too and try to submit something else because things change every year can I add one thing about that uh we definitely have had yeah. people who didn't get in the first year but they kept at it and 
I love to see people who like came back and they're still making stuff, you know, because that's the whole I, we're just trying to get better, you know, so I have had the moment where I'm like, oh, this is awesome. We can put their film in, you know, so I like we remember people, even if you don't get in the first year so or the first time you submit, you know, so keep keep making keep working just, you know, we're all trying to get better and you will. <laughs> Any last pearls of wisdom from you guys? <laughs> you've, you've given it up you've given all the wisdom <laughs> no no pressure you just want no pressure you just want a pearl um, <laughs> yeah no pressure we just want your film to be amazing <laughs> no I just uh, I agree with that it's just you know keep at it keep making it's just like this is a business of sort of, of just each film is about the next film and just learn something and move forward and submit it. And, uh, you know, there one pearl I'll say is like, you know, as you look at some festivals that you're going to apply to, I often, you know, I saw a great short before and I said, where are you from? And she said, Sarasota. And I said, submit to Sarasota and tell them you're from Sarasota. Because, mm -hmm. you know, it, it it's not just that they're, that they're just going to program you, but they're like, hey, you help you're already starting to build an audience. You've got friends and family that are going to show up. And it's sort of like, if I like your film, you've given me a little something again to build on. So where you're from, where your film is based, you know, can help start narrow down this big list of festivals that you're going to, that you're going to apply to. I, I'm jealous of the big city festivals, the New York festivals like yours, because you, you've got 8 million people and you're, you know, you don't have to worry about that, but a lot of festivals do, you know, and that's where it works. And again, the last thing is just like, you know, look at the last two years. If your film is an ex if you don't if you make, you're an experimental filmmaker and you go to a film festival site and you see no experimental films, don't waste your money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Totally. I the last thing I was gonna say is don't be jealous of us in New York. We have so many other festivals that happen that you know we've really had to to work to try to carve out our our space. I would say that yes, New Yorker, there's tons of New Yorkers, but they have a lot of choices of what they're gonna go to. And so we we really try to find films that we can champion and that we know people are going to show up to because, you know, even if we've got a 375 seat theater and there's eight, how eight million, whatever, however many New Yorkers, that doesn't mean they're going to come. We have to really like convince folks that this is worth their time. And, and if it's, if you're shot in New York, if it's local, if you know that crew are going to be able to come or, you know, if it speaks really to our ethos, like we will, that does kind of spark our interest for sure. You know, we'll, we'll take anything, but I do think that, you know, New Yorker born and bred films kind of help us just make sure we got butts and seats, you know, you know, just pay attention to who you're submitting to. And I would just say, please don't blindly submit to hundreds of festivals and waste your money because that is just not the goal. And, and, you know, we try to keep submission fees low, but, but it's still, I know it can add up. So I, I get that. Any pearls of wisdom from you, uh, Suzanne? Oh gosh. I think it's been said. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, so the, uh, thank you guys so much for, for being a part of this, this talk. I really, really appreciate it. And I hope I, I've, I've gotten some nice notes in the, in the chat. So thank you guys for coming and listening. And we really, really appreciate that. And if you uh, missed any of this or you want to listen to more, um, this will this talk will be available as an episode of our podcast, which is uh, LESFF Presents Below the Line and um, hosted by myself and my lovely Shannon Walker, my fellow festival director. But lastly, thank you guys so much, Andrew, Suzanne, Josh, Shannon, everybody who listened. Thanks for listening, um, and this has been Below the Line. I'm Roxy Hunt, one of the festival directors, and 
Shannon, my love. I love you. <laughs> Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.